0: Anyone remember the TNG episode, Disaster? Because I do. And this episode reminds me a lot of it. What's funny is apparently this is a very difficult episode to write. Which I can believe because it's actually very much a uh, ensemble episode. Lots of different characters who get lots of different lines and a lot of them interact with each other. And those are usually more difficult episodes to write than other ones. This is also supposed to be a bottle show. Now, I say it's supposed to be. Some people could argue whether it's a bottle show or not. But really, let's be honest with ourselves, the core point of a bottle show is to save money. To do something small-scale with existing sets, existing characters, and existing items, and maybe a little money tossed here and there for the occasional simple effect, like a force shield or whatever. Now, this episode has one major guest star, that's Dukat, um, arguably another one since Garrick himself isn't really a main character and therefore has to be paid for separate. Uh, multiple special effects including the phaser, the guy who gets vaporized on screen, and the shield effect. And they have several sets including what is effectively a new set, the ore processing area and the area surrounding that. So, not a bottle show. <laughs> that being said, I do love the creative challenge. Basically, the creative point is don't let them leave Deep Space Nine, but let them be in danger. And I do think they succeed at that. But I have to admit, this episode's not as good as I remember. And I think I know why, and we'll kind of get to that as we go. A couple little side notes. This is the first time that they mention Cousin Gala, who is a Ferengi who will actually show up in future episodes. This is the first time he's name-dropped. He owns a moon. Uh, Second of all, This is the first episode where the writers attempted to make the beginnings of a romantic entanglement between Kira and Dukat. Now, I have to admit, the scene where Dukat is trying to posture at Kira and Garrick notices and calls him on it instantly is actually genuinely amusing to me. As basically everything between Ducat and Garrick is actually pretty much gold. You'll notice that basically the only time Garrick ever drops his mask and just is straight up completely overt, which is a very non-Garrick thing to do, is when he's talking to Dukat. Garrick, under normal circumstances, would never just say, "Okay, I see what you're doing, and it's not going to work. You're an idiot." That's not his style. But he hates Dukat so much, he just has that, dis- he despises him that he's just he's like, "No, it's not going to work, stop." And Kira's just like, "I'm sorry, what?" Not a visitor said that there is no way she believed her character could ever be romantically attracted, in either way, physically, mentally, or emotionally, to Ducat. And if I'm being so bold, I agree. Ducat is, at his best, a nuanced, complex, very interesting, and very well-developed and acted character. Up until Season 7. And I do like a lot of what they do with him. I really do. But I don't think I could ever see anything really happening between him and Kira, not on a romantic level. The best I could ever see is a grudging respect. That's as far as I think I would ever push that envelope. Because well, to quote Kira herself in the future episode, even if he becomes a better person, which he doesn't, um, in her own words, a lot of people died for his personal character growth. Anywho, that being said, I also don't think Ducat is pure evil mwa-ha-ha. Now, he is kind of portrayed like that in this episode. This is actually a deliberate intent by several uh, of the writers and one of the creators, Ira Stephen Bear. This is not the first time I have found myself disagreeing with Ira Stephen Bear on this show, and I know that sounds like sacrilege, but I'm just being honest. I don't think Ducat needs to be the bad guy. And... As we will talk about significantly much later in the show, several of my problems with the direction of this show have to do with Dukat being the bad guy. And I don't mean being someone who is an antagonist, or being someone who is villainous, or being someone who has many layers of unpleasantness to him. All of those things are absolutely true. When I say the bad guy, that is a nice, binary, simplistic definition. You know, snidely whiplash, <laughs> or a cartoonish villain who's like, I will destroy the world! You know, no, no motivations, no purpose, no depth. Mwahaha, <laughs> evil! And that's how Ducat was deliberately written to be in this episode. Yes, really. Because they didn't want him to be seem like he was too friendly. Anyways... <clears throat> I just point this out because this is going to be a recurring trend. In fact, I've already pointed out how Ducat's character arc actually runs contrary to what the writers and creators wanted. And I think that was for the best whenever he actually runs contrary to that. But I'm, I'm getting off topic. I'm getting off topic. So I'm looking at my notes here. Um, I want to comment on one other thing really quick, uh, side note-wise, before we really get into this episode. I want to talk about music. I don't have a lot to say about this episode. I mean, there's some good scenes and there's some decent stuff here and there, but I don't have a lot to talk about. It's disaster, Deep Space Nine version. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, there's several good elements to this episode, but I don't have much to discuss. But let's talk about music. If you've been paying attention, I haven't really brought up music at all in all of the Deep Space Nine episodes we've been doing. I've been doing this for almost a year now, I think, at this point. I th- yeah, yeah, about a year. And... Um, I have not had one occasion to even mention the music. Now, in the back of my mind, I've been paying attention to the music, but only because I've been deliberately doing so, because, well, because this is the Rick Berman era, when music is wallpaper paste that you're not supposed to notice pay or pay too much attention to or spend too much time on. I have a legitimate challenge for you guys. I want you to think of iconic music from Deep Space Nine. Now, remove the title theme, okay? Can you, and I mean this with a legitimacy and sincerity, can you think of any specific song or music that just just sings out to you, that you could just listen to your head right now from Deep Space Nine in its entire run? I can't. I cannot think of one song that really is distinct or memorable in all of Deep Space Nine's run other than the title theme, which is, of course, gorgeous and amazing. Now, I can think of several from TNG right off the top of my head. Uh, the two predominant themes of Booby Trap come to mind immediately Best of Both Worlds, of course. The music that was in Up the Long Ladder. I like the lower tones of. Um, oh, God, I can't, so I can't think of an episode of uh, Measure of a Man. I can remember the flute music, right? Or how about the music that was in Q Who? I remember that one, too. Like, I can picture several distinct individual songs because of how memorable they were, because of how they're designed to be something that added to a scene and were a part of the scene. This is one of the things that I rail so much against when it comes to video game design, that too often music either isn't used properly or isn't used at all as part of a scene, as another tool in the director and the editor's tool set in order to try and make an ad and work with a scene. Now, doing no music at all can work and has worked. I've pointed out many times in my career uh, instances where there's no music and it's awesome. But that's not what I mean. What I mean is making that music matter. And as much as I love Deep Space Nine to death, I don't think it makes the music matter at all. This episode has several moments of very tense, very stark, very serious danger. And I I can't even remember the music that was playing in it, even though I literally just watched the episode minutes ago, right before I hit record. That's how unmemorable it is. That's how generic it is. And that is by design. That is a deliberate intent on behalf of the creators. And I hate it. I really legitimately feel that Deep Space Nine, if it had been given truly amazing effort and work into, into designing the music throughout the series, that it would have been even greater than it already is. I want Now, you might be wondering why I'm bringing this up now. I've been thinking about bringing this this point up a few times as we've been going through the show. But I wanted to give it some time and some listening to try and see if I was wrong, if I was just misremembering. Because we all have you know, things where we remember things wrong. My own opinion on certain things has changed over the years as I go back through things. So I thought, you know, I'll give it some time. But this episode is where it really shined for me because this is actually kind of a terrifying episode in its own right, for the same reason disaster was. It's one of the things I like about this episode. Too often, we as the audience take for granted the level of tech they have as normal. If my electricity fails right now, oh well. I mean, it'll kind of suck, but my life will not be in danger. If I'm on a space station and the electricity goes out, I'm freaking screwed, Right? And I've always kind of had this understanding of that. I don't know where that comes from. It probably comes from my mother, if I'm being honest, and the science fiction books I used to read. But, you know, if something goes wrong of a significant nature in a spaceship or a space station, it's just so much more terrifying than just about any other setting because you rely on that technology to exist, to survive at all, to be able to breathe or move or talk or anything. And so the idea of being stuck in a room with with a, unable to open the doors as the as the station is slowly self destructing or or shooting or whatever that's terrifying. But I never felt that tension in this entire episode, and I and I really just noticed there's several scenes where it's like okay we have like five seconds to get out of this room before this gas kills us that's already pluming in and I'm listening to the music in that scene and I'm just like that's it it's like generic horns. Da, da 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 I think it's actually a Voyager song, but right. <sighs> Sorry for ranting. Let's talk about the episode proper. Now, on the one hand, I do like the idea that there's still crap on the station they haven't fixed or repurposed yet, because that's logical. It makes sense with the series of, sequence of events that they have given us. However, I also hate the fact that the station has blah 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 blah. Why? Because it's just another aspect of the fact that Starfleet has refused to support this station. I want to remind you that a red shirt dies in this episode. And yes, I checked. actually rewound to double check. He's actually wearing a red uniform. <laughs> Seriously, when the phaser appears in the replicator, it shoots someone and vaporizes him. That's a Starfleet personnel who is murdered. Well, I guess murder is really inaccurate. Who is brutally killed. There we go horrifically dead, you know, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, and that death happened because Starfleet wasn't properly supporting this entire adventure. Really. Now, what's funny is they will continue to not support this frickin' station until the beginning of season 4, despite the fact that the Dominion's right there. The only thing, the only thing that is debatably keeping the Dominion out is the threat of collapsing the wormhole. That's it. That is actually, I I found out since that's one of the things the writers have deliberately written in, is the whole, we will collapse the wormhole if you come through, so the Dominion decides to be a little more clandestine about it. Of course, people are still going through the wormhole as we learn. (laughs) Right? So, uh, anyways. That's another one. How how are they letting people still go through the wormhole? That's that's a good question. Isn't that incredibly dangerous with the Dominion threat? I mean, we know we're going to collapse it if, if things get bad, but should we not push them on this matter? Anyways so they're still trying to fix the damn station. I actually wonder how long it would take to build a new space station. I, I legitimately don't know. I, I mean, not how long it would take it in real life, but this is Star Trek. They have ridiculous, they have industrial replicators, for God's sakes. They have vast manufacturing teams. We know they can build entire fleets of hundreds of ships within the space of about a decade, so that's saying something, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it. So... This whole situation, the other thing that really weirded me out is I feel like I'm the only person who understands how terrifying the whole lack of control on a space station th- problem is. Because when things start to go bad, everyone's just like, ugh, oh, alright, let's just go to bridge, could you get me out of it? They act like it's just, you know, whatever, it's a minor inconvenience. And funnily enough, excuse me, one of the reasons the situation gets so bad is because no one decides to take it, um, like, take it seriously immediately. Only two people... Three, actually, excuse me. Only three characters in the entire sh- in the entire episode treat all of this as if it's serious from day one. Quark, Odo, and Garak. And now that I've said that out loud, that doesn't surprise me as much. But still, they're the only ones. Quark is like, I'm going to Odo's. Well, this is a safe place to stay. And Odo's already looking into trying to fix it, and Garak, you know, pretty much immediately starts moving his way to ops in order to figure out what the hell's going on. So, um... Yeah... <laughs> now I, I mention that because that's actually in, endemic of something that will happen later Ducat, if he had taken this whole situation seriously rather than trying to take advantage of it because evil then there's actually a reasonable chance that he wouldn't have been as screwed over by the situation as everyone else was but instead you know, he decided to be evil because he's evil, 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 evil and um, as a consequence we have the problem that happened at the end of the episode I'll admit that scene was funny caught, you're an idiot. You're trying to escape. You are now dead. <laughs> you know. So where's the Defiant in this episode? One of the things I bring up a lot in most other Star Trek shows is why don't they use the shuttles? Because for some reason the writers seem to just forget the shuttles exist. And the fact that shuttles have independent atmospheres and independent transporters. And those are very useful tools for solving a lot of problems um so where's the defiant in all this actually bonus question where's the runabouts in all of this hmm. now obviously they could ride right away for that to be you know oh we can't reach the runabout or oh, we can't beam out or whatever but at the same time they don't even mention the other ships the whole time they're just stuck on the station now i know bottle show but you get the problem, right? It, it kind of creates a logical disconnect when no one even mentions, try to raise the Defiant and, and get us beamed out of here. Oh, we can't communicate outside the. It just, I'll throw away a line, would have helped. Anyways. Um, so then Garak goes to the ship. That's nice. Um, I do like his. I, I do like the inclusion of Garrick. I, I do like a lot of the performances in this episode. In fact, I think one of the only reasons I like this episode at all is because of the performances, because I find so many issues with the plot. Um, I do like the idea of destroying the life support controls in order to prevent the ship, from, or the, ship the station from flooding, you know, gas and everything. That makes a degree of sense. Uh, and then they they go straight to self destruct. Hey, question: Why? I know that sounds like a really strange thing, but I want you to rewind time a few years to Antarak Nor is active and functional and regularly receiving ships, Cardassian ships. Uh, Cardassian military ships, on a regular basis. It is a, it is a major military outpost as an ore processing facility for Bajor, okay? Why do they want to blow this thing up? Can anyone answer me that question? I'm legitimately curious if someone can come up with a good answer to that. Because, I mean... It, at the absolute worst, why not just shut everything down? Oh, this program has reached the final level of a- counterintrusion program. Zzz, and just shut the st- station off. And the military Cardassian ships, which are probably out there in space, are like, oh, okay. Zzz, and they could unboard or attack or wait or whatever they want to do, right? I mean, worst case scenario, all they have to do is wait until everyone on the station starves to death. And then they can just go back on board and take the station again. Remember, part of the whole reason this is a problem is because they don't want to build a new space station. So they're repurposing the Cardassian one. So you can't tell me that Cardassians, who have access to less resources than the Federation, are so keen on just destroying one of their stations. Now, I know what you're going to say. This is Dukat's program, not the Cardassian's program. And that's true. But I find myself raising my eyebrow at the idea that Dukat is just like, yeah, blow it up, whatever. Blow up my station. It's cool. Just a weird inclusion there. Anyways, so I have a note here that says Fear of the Dominion. It's been a recurring trend for several episodes that people have been acting differently and functioning differently because of Fear of the Dominion. That's logical. It makes sense. It's very contiguous. This episode adds something so much worse to that and will never be mentioned again. Fear of the station they live on. This is the kind of thing that would be traumatizing, legitimately traumatizing, at no point in the episode do they show the ground level, which is another flaw of the episode in my opinion. We never see the civilians. We never see the people with their dom their their not domjet, they're the uh what's the frickin' lollipop thing, the Bajoran lollipop. We never see that guy. We never see the people with their their stores, or the Klingon restaurant, or the people in their quarters. We never see the normal people's perspective on this. Because remember, everyone's getting these announcements. Everyone hears what's going on, and everyone is getting locked in, and everyone's hearing a countdown for the station being destroyed. That's terrifying. In case I'm not making my point clearly enough, Try to picture some place, if you will, where you feel safe and or comfortable. Not like a perfect harmony kind of thing, but just some place where you can uh, kind of rest your shoulders and relax a bit, right? Now imagine you're there and all of a sudden you hear this blaring alarm and this horrible voice saying, This place will be destroyed in 30 minutes. Right? Wouldn't that just really get to you? I can't believe anyone decided to stay on the station after that mess, especially given how close they came to nearly destroying anything. And... And given the fact that one of those Starfleet guys freaking died! I hate to keep repeating that point. And that brings me to one of my final complaints here. Between the the fact that none of these events matter for the future at all, between the fact that several of the characters just suddenly revert to being one-dimensional, between the fact that the, the, it, there's no world building, there's no background building, it's just, even there's even a coda, just like there is in standard Star Trek in this episode. This feels like a normal, boring Star Trek episode, of, of ordinary Star Trek, not a Deep Space Nine episode. And that aggravates me. Do you know why they kill redshirts in Star Trek? It's to prove the situation is serious, I'll just tell you. Uh, most of you probably already know that. It's, well, we need to have some way to show the audience that the stakes are real. Now, we can't kill off any main characters because this is the 80s or 90s, or you know, 60s and 70s or whatever. But, you know, 80s and 90s, I, I know television in the 80s a lot better, so that's why I'm using that as an example. We can't kill off these main characters. It, it doesn't work that way. Television doesn't work that way. So we need to do something in order to let the audience know that there's some actual drama here. There's some actual threat. There's some real danger going on. And the way they do that is they kill off some random nameless guy who's probably never had any lines of dialogue ever. And if he has, he's only had them in this episode. And boop, he or she, gender doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's been guys and girls. They just die. And oh my God, no. What's his face? Now... Granted, hindsight, and television is a lot different now than it used to be back in the 80s and 90s, but I have railed against the red shirt concept for about two decades at this point because it's stupid, in my opinion. It is really just saying, oh my gosh, this is so serious, you guys. It's so serious that I, I bust a nail a little bit it's, and I'll never mention it again. Right? They never acknowledge it it has no impact it often doesn't even have an impact in the episode it happens in there's otherwise good episodes of star trek where there's just a person who dies for no reason and they don't acknowledge it or or comment on it It has no effect on anything other than they they have solved the, the problem of needing to have someone die in order to prove that this is a dangerous situation and that's it drives me absolutely bonkers when they do this crap um, the Negilum episode over on TNG is a good episode. I can't think of the name of the episode right now. Please forgive me. But it's the one with Nagilum. You know, they, they've got the guy and he's like, Pasquale, like, I can't even remember his damn name. Dead. No, you killed him. And that's like it. It's like, interesting. Okay, I'll have to kill a bunch of people. That's that's the full impact. He didn't matter, right? Ah, uh, just uh, frustrates the crap out of me. Sorry. Sorry for ranting. Um, So then Dukat comes back. We get some backstory between Dukat and Garak. That's good the baseball's there. The baseball's still there on the table, and Dukat makes a point of knocking it off. Just remember that. And um, I like the idea of the replicator phaser. That's a cool idea. I do wonder, like, as it's just shooting the, the, the whole ops area, sparks are going off. Does that mean anything? Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I forgot this is a typical episode of Star Trek where sparks is just the shorthand for, oh my gosh, this is dangerous. Like, I, I'm sorry for, for being, you know, the world builder or the continuity person or whatever, but think about this for a moment. Imagine someone just 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 walked under the bridge of the Enterprise and just started firing a phaser, which is set to kill, as we saw it disintegrate someone, just started firing a phaser randomly every few seconds for several minutes around the bridge. I mean, that's circuitry and control panels and monitors, right? Isn't that going to do some damage to all that? But No, it's just sparks, don't worry. Really? (sighs) Now, I do want to give some praise to this episode. First of all, I do think some of the early Quark and Odo uh, interaction was actually pretty good. I hate the fact that it adds on a light, jokey, ha-ha-ha comedy moment between the two, but whatever. But I also want to give special praise to basically every scene that included Jake, O'Brien, and Sisko. Those were good scenes, legitimately good scenes, most notably because every time they were in danger, they, it was very low tech. There was no babble. There was no magic in their way around the problem. There was no, none of the usual Star Trek crap and none of the usual fictional crap. It was just three people in a, pro, in a dilemma thinking their way around the dilemma with what they had at hand. And all of that was established beforehand. No, no sudden pull out of nowhere. They already had, they were in the ore processing area. So obviously they already knew about the ore. That was, that was established in advance. They make their way out through the tunnel that used to contain Magnus ore. So, or you know, molten lore. So obviously that's not a problem. Right? Like, all of the pieces there are well-constructed, make sense, and are awesome. Sadly, I just don't have much to comment about it, which is the only regret I have. But I did enjoy all of those scenes, and they were good, and I liked it, and it's awesome. And I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Overall, this is just kind of a meh episode, a rumination. I will probably forget to change the title, because I always do. But I did hope you enjoyed, and I do hope I'll see you guys next time with generic music. da Da-da, na